welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Good morning. I'm Terry. I'm a recovering sexaholic. Hi, everybody. Good to see you here. So, um, this morning is um, a panel on sponsorship, um, two topics, getting started and relapse prevention. And Doug and I are going to talk for a little bit and then we'll open it up for question and answer. Um, I'm going to turn it over to Doug to start us off. Hi there, I'm Doug, a recovering sexaholic. Um, maybe just a quick uh, background on, on my journey here. <clears throat> I uh, came into the program about a little over ten and a half years ago. Uh, pretty beat up. Uh, I started my program in Los Angeles. I'm now from Minneapolis. Um, I started my program there. I uh, came into the program after about 35 years of uh, sexually acting out. Uh, it started very slow and, and uh, built up, uh, especially toward the end, pretty rapidly. Uh, my MO was primarily uh, anonymous sex with other men. and. Uh, living in horrendous shame and secrecy, of course, uh, married, four kids, and uh, finally uh, had a, uh, an experience where I received an email from, I was a college professor, and uh, received an email from a former student, and I misread it, and I thought he was saying he knew about my secret life. I went into a panic attack and uh, thought it was having a heart attack, actually, and uh, uh, as a result of that, when my wife came home that afternoon, I spilled out my sexual addiction, then got on the phone and called my four adult kids and told them. Of course, I always believed that they um, knew. You know, I always felt transparent, so I always that was a lot of what the shame was about too. And to my surprise, they didn't know. Um, uh, obviously, I hadn't read the white book at that point. <laughs> uh, in my case, you know, I certainly don't advocate that that's the way to do it, but in my case, it, it turned out okay. My, my wife's, her response was, uh, you remember how long it took me to give up our first refrigerator? She said, well, we've been together longer than the refrigerator. I guess I'll stick it out. So uh, <laughs> I was pretty fortunate and, and found my kids to be supportive too. Anyhow, I got into the program right away and, um, and sponsorship became uh, extremely important to me. And maybe I'll start out with that in terms of, um, of getting started, getting started uh, as a newcomer in the program as it related to sponsorship. Um, my sponsor was, um, you know, I, I went to my first several meetings and I, I was told I should get a sponsor and so I just listened at meetings and, and tried to identify with someone that I thought, um, you know, that I could maybe connect with. And it turned out it, the person I asked to be my sponsor was actually someone that was younger than two of my kids 
and uh, he was also his uh, forms of acting out were totally different than mine and uh, for me that turned out to be the right sponsor you know so uh, that's one of the first things I always think about in terms of sponsorship is that it doesn't necessarily have to be somebody that's acting out the way I did that's in my age bracket that's you know that we've we've got similar backgrounds this was not the case at all uh, it was totally different and uh, I really attribute uh, my recovery to to my sponsor uh, a, a great deal. He was always there for me. He understood. Uh, he made me do the work. Um, and uh, one of the first lessons I learned from him as a sponsor was that uh, he re really required me to be rigorously honest. And I've carried that into uh, the sponsorship that I do. Um, that uh, that that's number one because. As we know, if we can't be honest, we're not likely to recover. So anyhow, so I got into into the program and, and was able to get sober right away and, and stayed sober. So I have uh, 10 years and eight months of sobriety under my belt. And uh, for that, I'm eternally grateful, obviously. Um, over the years, of course, I've ended up uh, doing quite a bit of sponsorship. Uh, as I say, I started in L.A., but then after about the first six years, uh, uh, ended up moving back to Minneapolis, which is where I am now. And the program in Minneapolis was pretty small, and uh, the meetings were pretty small, and, uh, and th there were none in the northern suburbs. So I started a meeting there, and uh, one of the, the nice things about starting a meeting is you kind of get to... to be the first one to establish the ground rules and not being a controlling person of course uh, uh, I was able to set up a meeting like I liked the meetings to be so we did a, a big book study meeting actually is what, what the meeting is uh, the downside of starting a meeting is that uh, I, I was the only one with sobriety because everyone who came in was a newcomer so I ended up you know having to be the sponsor to everyone, uh, which was difficult. And it was also difficult for me because by this time my, my original sponsor had left the program and also had moved away. So I was then without a sponsor. So I came to one of the international meetings to find myself a sponsor with more sobriety than I had and have been able to do that, of course. Um, so that's, that's some of my first thoughts about starting up in, in sponsorship is, is one, you know, making sure you have your own sponsor uh, that, that you're working with, uh, being rigorously honest and expecting that of the people that you're working with. Um, I have to admit that, you know, as over the years I've seen lots of different styles of sponsorship. Um, uh, there's quite a continuum, and I don't know that there's a right or wrong way to do it, uh, but I think you have to find your own way to do it. You know, something that's that's comfortable for you. Um, I tend to be um, a pretty kind of laid back, kind of easy going kind of sponsor. I've seen others who are very rigid. You know, I can remember uh, uh, a sponsor in L.A. that I mean, he first time you'd get a, a, a sponsee, they were given a binder like this, and I mean, it was you know. 24 hours a day checking in with their sponsor. Um, that that was just not my style and and hasn't been. But as I say, for for some sponsees that may be what they need, and for others, you know, uh, someone that's extremely uh, rigid might be off-putting. You know, some of us uh, tend to be uh, uh, 
reaction, reactive to <laughs> being told what to do. Uh, so, so again, I think finding your own style is an important part of it. Um, one, one of the um, one of the struggles that I still confront is how do I how do I best use my time uh, as a sponsor? You know, I would like to be I'd like to be available to everyone. You know, but uh, over the years I've realized I can't. In fact, uh, this past year in particular, um, I've, I've actually gone back to school um, at, at my age. I, I've uh, started in January at uh, the Hazleton Graduate School, so I'm, I'm working on a master's in addiction counseling, a uh, one-year program, and a pretty intense program, which has really limited my time as a sponsor. So I have to be careful that I don't overcommit, because in order to be of service, appropriate service. I, I, I know I need to be available. So my tendency has been to look for the sponsees who are motivated. And as I say, that, that's a difficult decision um, because I find myself struggling. Well, do I only work with those who are eager and anxious and, and willing to jump in and do the work and so forth? Uh, versus the ones who are, are going to need a lot more pushing and a lot more structure and, and, and my going after them all the time. Um, as much as I would like to do the latter, I, I find for my time it, right now I, I can't do that. I, I just I, I, I have to be, um, I have to have those who are, are ready to do the work. And I remember a sponsor in Los Angeles um, who uh, had been in the program for quite a long time. And I remember one thing that he did. I haven't done it yet, but I've thought about it, actually. Uh, when he would have someone come up and ask to be uh, to sponsor, the first assignment he would give is he would say, well, um, okay, uh, get a copy of the AA Big Book and read the first 164 pages and then give me a call. And, uh, and I asked him one time, I said, well, why do you do that? And he says, to, to find out whether they're motivated or not. And about three-quarters of the people never give them a call. And, and there's something to be said about that. As we know, if you're not willing to do the work, um, you're not going to get sober. If, you're gonna, if the sponsee is going to be so totally dependent on you as the sponsor, um, then you know, they're, they're, uh, they're leaning on the wrong higher power, I think. So... Um, that's, that's one approach that I've seen. Um, so I tend to uh, simply lay out some basic things in the beginning. I expect them uh, to phone me uh, uh, on a daily basis, although, again, you know, I will also say, you know, you, know, you miss a day, I'm not going to fire you. But uh, I think it's, it's good for you to call on a daily basis, to, to just do a check-in, even if it's just to leave a message on my cell phone uh, if I'm going to be unavailable. Um, I... Uh, highly encourage that they get started with a recovery buddy, uh, somebody else that they can call so that they have somebody to talk to about their sponsor, <laughs> you know, that, uh, to complain about him. And, um, and of course, to get to meetings. Uh, in Minneapolis, we don't have a lot of meetings. We, there is one, at least one a day, but they're really scattered all over the place. And uh, I, I do encourage as many meetings as possible. But it, uh, now in, in L.A., you know, you, there are meetings, so many meetings all over the place, it was a lot easier. Uh, 
And then I usually try and get them started in the steps right away. And I have a kind of a little handout sheet that I've put together that I've collected over the year, a lot of questions from different um, meetings or, or different workbooks or different whatever. And I kind of picked out questions that I think are helpful. And so I, I usually give them that sheet of how to get started in step one, uh, a couple of things that they ought to read from the, uh, from the white book, from the uh, 12 and 12, uh, uh, a few suggestions on how to start writing out the first step and so on and so forth and, and really push them into the steps because I believe that's where recovery is. It's in the steps, obviously. So that's kind of what I do for, for startup. Um, in terms of relapse prevention, um, Maybe the best uh, explanation I can give there is uh, I encourage them to use some mem memory aids, if you will. You know, uh, uh, hopefully they'll get to that that first 30-day uh, chip and 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 carry their chip. You know, I carry mine. Uh, that's a, a reminder for me every day as I reach in my pocket. You know that that I'm in recovery and I I need to work my program. So I, I encourage that kind of thing. Uh, Maybe other aids in terms of uh, uh, something on the dashboard of their car to remind them to stay out of certain neighborhoods or, or uh, something on the, the mirror in the morning to remind them that they're in recovery, so on and so forth. And any kind of a, a thing to keep in their mind that they are in recovery and they can never forget that. Um, and then the thing that I have found most helpful is helping them to tune into their rituals. And, and for me, that was a tremendous aid. Um, you know, like the alcoholic, uh, you know, maybe deciding whether to pick up that drink or not, um, that's, that's not where the ritual begins. And for us, I, I think it's not that moment of decision about acting out. It's, it's when did that really get started? What, what's the earliest thing that happened? And I, I use kind of a... Um, uh, uh, a visualization of going to Disneyland. Um, if you've been to Disneyland or Disney World, you know some of the more big thrill rides. As you're in the, the line in the queue, waiting to get on on the the ride, along the way there's all these places where they say, you know, this is a wild ride. You can exit the line here, and you get a little further, and they say, you know, if you have back problems, get off here. You know, if you got this, get out here, and uh, and and they have that to kind of thin out before people get to the ride. But, but on many of those rides, when you get right up close to the ride, you know, they have that moving platform that you step onto that platform so that it's easy to get into the car uh, for the ride itself. And so I liken that to uh, our journey. You know, what's the first warning sign? If you wait until you're on that moving platform, it's too late. That's when you're going to act out because you've gone too far. So what is your ritual? What triggers, you know, what's the very beginning of the possibility of, of relapse for you? Is it, that is it that argument you had with your wife? Is it that uh, someone that cuts you off on the road that starts triggering your resentments and your anger? Um, is it that first look? Uh, whatever. That's when you have to intercept what's going on. Because otherwise, you go into default mode. And default we all know where that takes us. It takes us right to the old thing. We've, we've got such ingrained tracks that, that we have gone down so long, and, and those tracks are so deep that once we get into that ridge, it, it's hard to get out. We just can't get out. And so we need, to, we need to learn what our rituals are so that we can 
get off that road, take a different path um, uh, much earlier on. So that's kind of my take on, uh, very quickly at least, on getting started and maybe some relapse prevention. Thanks, Doug. Thanks very much, Doug. Actually, that's really good to hear from me. Um, again, Terry Sexaholic. Good to see you all. Um, yeah, listening to you just helped me get grounded here. I'm I, um, doing pretty good this morning. I had a good meeting with a sponsee. And, um, but right before I came in here, you, know, you get a little nervous before you get up in front of people. I got a couple of logistics calls about the program, and I got a little crazy in my mind, so it was good to get back into the room, <laughs> um, out of my head and into reality. And that's a big part of uh, what I have to work on every day. Um, you also reminded me I really like what you said about the rituals and having some things built in so that we don't just get on that conveyor. Um, and the conversation I was having with uh, my sponsee this morning, he used a really great metaphor. We've been discussing this past week um, the whole idea of being open to lust. And somebody else in the program, one of his checking partners, and he talked about getting people hooked up with us, sort of challenged him about that. And uh, said, uh, you know, when we're open to lust, it, basically the result was it's not a passive thing. You know, there's some, um, we're participating in that. You know, we're putting our radar up, or as my sponsor said, you know, if you're on the bank and you push off from the bank, you know, without your paddles, you've, you've done something there. And now you're passively sitting in the boat. But you probably knew, and then I said to him, and you probably knew whether you're conscious or not, that if I push off the bank without my paddles, there might be a waterfall up ahead, right? And so I love that, the ritual thing. That's, that was really cool. So good. It's good to, it's good to get grounded here. Um, my own, and I didn't think about this, stuff, but I, my own experience as a sponsee, um, Up until about a dozen years ago, um, and I was in this program for many years before that, in and, in and out of the program, um, I would say I used my sponsor as a kind of a confessor. And what I would do is I'd be feeling this build up, you know, by the end of the week, like oh, I got some lust coming. I could feel like I may be open to lust, quote unquote. And I'd call and I'd admit that. And I'd feel real good about myself for being honest, but I really wasn't giving it up. And, you know, if I was really, really honest, um, I knew I was keeping a little bit of it in my back pocket in case I wanted to, you know, play around with it on the weekend and then eventually act out. And that's eventually what would happen. Um, and I had a sponsor at the time, great guy, uh, but who was willing to um, go along with that for many years. Um, and um, now, fast forward last 12 years, I came into St. Teresa's Wednesday night meeting in Chicago at a time when I was ready um, to have a sponsor, sponsor relationship that wasn't like that. that. That The fault of that relationship was on me, but um, uh, I've as a sponsor moved away from that sort of thing and the comments that I think I have are probably um, somewhat centered around the fact that I still see a lot of that going on that you know we have uh, sponsees that are willing to say what's going on but not really to ready to surrender and give it up so that's my preface in terms of where I was at as a sponsor or a sponsee way back when um, 
One thing I thought about with this, uh, we've been doing uh, every couple of years sponsorship workshops out of St. Teresa's, and so some of my comments I have um, from previous times I've talked about this, but sort of as a preface, um, one of the things I thought about is that, in a, in a sense, eventually for all of the sponsorship, maybe you could even think of it as a, a requirement for sobriety because um, you've got to, you know, the whole idea of you've got to give it away to keep it, um, the 12th step. Um, you know, so, sobriety is not something we get and hoard. It's something we give away so we can keep it. And why am I saying that? Well, I think we're still, we're far from where we were. I was involved in the very first SA meeting here in Chicago in late 1984. <laughs> Um, we're far from where we were, but we're nowhere near as big an organization as AA. And my first experience coming into 12-step programs was I called a number, AA, and some guy showed up my door with a big book. And he, he was my temporary sponsor. That was that. Um, I was 24. He was 55. Our politics were completely different. Uh, our job types were completely different. Um, but he took me around to meetings until I found a sponsor. And there was no, it wasn't about like, is it a perfect match? You know what you were talking about, Doug. Uh, it was about you just need somebody to get you, get you going. And then finally, someone turned to me at a meeting a few months in and said, do you have a sponsor yet? Someone sought me out. And I said, no. And they said, who do you like around the room? And I said, Jim. And they took me over to Jim and said, ask him to be your sponsor. Um, I'm not saying we should do it that way. That's the way it first happened for me. But I do want to make a pitch for if you're not a sponsor yet and you've got the minimal requirements, which I wrote down somewhere, I think they are six months being on a third step and permission to work with others. Doug? Doug? Yeah, Pete, EJ. <laughs> um, that we do in our meetings um, that we are proactive and that we do bring the newcomer to, to meet people who are potential sponsors and that we look out for that. Um, so I just think that's important. Um, the other thing, um, sort of as a preface, is to say that to be a sponsor, um, besides the minimum requirements, I think we have to have something um, to give away. And, and how do we know if we're there or not. Um, the, the distinction I like to make and I talk about in our meeting is whether we ourselves as potential sponsors are investing in our sobriety or testing our sobriety. And the difference between investing and testing to me, if we're testing our sobriety, we're getting on the TV and clicking around. We're driving through areas we don't need to drive through and we know like I could go a different way. We're uh, making those signals to uh, the waitress or the person who's serving us. Um, you, you know, we're, um, for me, certain aisles I just don't even go down in the stores. Um, those sorts of things. We're, we're testing it. We're Instead of investing in it, which is all the things that you know, going to meetings and whatnot, but also making sure that we share um, where we're at so that we never end up alone with lust. That's really key. Never is probably a strong word, but as much as possible. The idea that 
we're investing our sobriety by staying connected um, with the people that um, we've built around us so that we don't end up in one of these battles, should I or shouldn't I, should I or shouldn't I. Um, that's sort of the distinction I make in terms of helping people figure out whether to be ready to be sponsors. So if you are ready and you're asked, how do you get started, that's what we're supposed to be talking about. I actually, and this is my way of doing it, and I really like what Doug said, there's a lot of different ways to do it. Let me tell you, I have a very specific way that I get started with most people. Um, I do make a distinction between folks who are newer to the program and folks who've been around. Um, but generally, there are two things that I do. Um, first, I ask an open-ended question. Um, and the question is, uh, what do you want from a sponsor? Um, I really want to know that. And it just is really the beginning of a dialogue. There's no correct answer. Um, but there's some assumptions that I'm working from when I start to sponsor somebody. And again, this goes back to the way I used to use my sponsor um, and use them inappropriately. I think that the motivator um, for getting sober is the acting out we did. The motivator is not the sponsor. Um, we stop. The sponsor doesn't stop us. Um, the sponsors can get in back of somebody's willingness, give all kinds of suggestions and guidance and be involved in listening and all that good stuff, but, but we don't provide the motivation. And of course, asking that question in the very beginning, especially with a newcomer, you're not going to find out where the motivation is coming from. Is it internal? Is it not? And there's always going to be some of each. It's just the beginning of a conversation, though. It's like I'm letting um, that person know that I'm curious about, you know, who's... Um, sobriety this is going to be because I can't get you sober I believe that uh, I can do some things that can support your willingness but I can't get you sober then I ask three specific questions and I ask people uh, typically to write out answers to these and to keep it on one side of a piece of paper this is a really I'm looking at this is really short basic stuff and I find in this program um, that these are really important questions to start having a conversation about. I'm not really worried about what the answers are. There are no right answers. And I just want to have something that clarifies things about what our expectations are from the get-go so that they can evolve, but we have some clarity in the beginning. And I find that in this particular program, that's very important. first question I ask is, um, first I talk to the person, especially if they're new, about what our bottom line is. Right, and talk about bottom line and that lust is really the driving force behind that and for them what does that mean now I, let me give you my short share because people will have heard this if they're coming to meetings and I tell them right away you don't have to do mine my short share is I'm Terry I'm a recovering sexaholic um, and um, the essay bottom line clearly includes for me no fondling um, I'm going to forget my short term. Uh, <laughs> no fondling of any kind. Uh, no spending any money on the addiction. Uh, no going through certain geographic areas. No getting on the 800 numbers, whether I. Uh, uh, no getting on the 800 numbers whatsoever. Um, no getting a woman a hooker in the car, whether we act out or not. Um, also struggled with incestuous fancy. Had exhibitionism dressed in the place. I missed a couple things in there, but you can see I have some very specific kinds of things. I tell them right away, that evolves over time. That's something I need to keep out in front of people 100% of the time so it doesn't shift because I was always shape-shifting. I was always moving that with that previous sponsor. And so I say to them, no right answer. Don't give me my answer or what you think I want to hear, but what's yours? And it's very telling to start having a conversation about that with somebody. Um, whatever their answer is, is going to be fine. 
I do, I have gotten more into around the internet and starting and stopping right in the beginning even with new people, not get, forcing them to get to a certain place, but to have a conversation around that. So again, that's sort of out there, it's on the table. Um, that's the first thing. For people who've been around for a good chunk of time and have been in and out like I was, I have a much longer conversation about that. You know, where are you at with um, starting and stopping or uh, if it's, uh, depending what their issues are, the internet, how are you going to get on and off safely, do you even need it? Um, so, again, no correct answer, you don't have to give me the right answer, but I want to have a clear idea what's your idea so that uh, two months down the line we're not going, what did you say about that? I thought you said this. No, no, I said, and it's like, I don't, I, I don't need any of that. The second thing I ask about um, are what are the triggers you have that we need to have some boundaries around? Um, so this isn't a change your date kind of thing, this is, but this is let's build in some, uh, let's call before and after and bookmark um, internet use kind of thing, um, whatever it might be. Um, so try to get those um, out there. And then finally ask, what's your program of action going to be? And remember, this is one side of one page. It's all bullets. How many meetings, where, who are you going to be calling, um, how often are we going to be talking, um, what are you going to be reading. I always talk about quiet time from the beginning. Uh, that's something that evolves over time for everybody. Um, I'm big into quiet time, so I ask them about starting to build that in, even if it's a couple minutes a day. Um, so um, we look at all those things. And um, I never say yes or no right away to someone who comes up to me. Part of it is, it, is how much space do I have <clears throat> in terms of time. But let's say that I have space in terms of sponsees. With a newcomer, I ask them to bring this back to the next meeting. We review, figure it out. It's a really simple process, and I, I'll say yes if I have space. With somebody who's been around for a long time, I might take more time to decide if I'm going to move forward or not based on this conversation and how it evolves. Um, and, uh, um, and then make a determination, yes or no. Um, I've had a couple of situations where I've asked somebody to stay sober for a while um, before I say yes. Um, just to put the onus, this is for somebody who's been around again, in and out, not somebody new, um, just to put the onus on the sobriety on them um, and then for me to come in to support that sobriety that exists. Um, okay, uh, let me say a couple things about the relapse prevention piece. That's, that's basically how I get started. That's getting started. It, it evolves. All those conversations continue, but I found that it's very good for me to have begun those conversations at the get-go and not sort of find myself behind the eight ball, sort of going, what happened here? How did I, how did I get here again? My first reaction to the relapse prevention thing was sort of like, that's... And this is semantics, of course, but uh, it's not our job. I mean, the sponsor's job isn't to prevent relapse. The sponsor's job is to support the sobriety that, that's there, to give suggestions, guidance, um, to confront, you know, where necessary and all those sorts of things. Um, I, I think that's sort of just a reframe. Um, and then I go with what Doug said, um, work, help people work the steps, you know, once they get uh, established and, and get connected. Um, but I do um, have a couple things I use myself. Uh, when, when maybe is somebody moving towards relapse, I, I have found over time that there's a couple things that are happening. One is, if I'm a, sounding like a broken record, 
as the sponsor, that's bad. <laughs> that means I'm saying the same thing over or I'm reminding you. I'm not, a sponsor is not a reminder service. Right? I mean, in the beginning, somebody's new. I'm very patient. I'm, I tend to be more patient, lower key. Um, if there's something that needs to be said, reach down and take the courage to say it, but do it with respect. I don't like any of that lording it over kind of stuff um, that I see in 12-step programs sometimes. But um, if I'm saying the same things over and over, I'm working harder. Um, and I need to say that. And that's usually what I do is I'm saying the same thing over and over. I'm really frustrated. You know, what are you going to do with this? And again, if I'm saying it over and over, this is, again, a process that's happened over time. And if it's around are you going to meetings or not, and it's three months later, what am I sponsoring? I'm supposed to be sponsoring some, some form of sobriety and moving it forward. The other thing is sometimes you just... I hear a lack of two things. One, for early on people... They're not talking and checking in about their lust. Um, let me try to think of an example of this. Hey, I had somebody who had been sponsoring. He was a new guy for a few months, and you know everybody's different. So you're trying to kind of figure out where somebody is and fit yourself to him a little bit. But he never checked in with lust, and he left me all these long messages every day about everything else, and it was all real stuff, believe me. And finally, though, and he was not staying sober, over and over and over and over, and. Uh, I finally just said, you know, I'm really, i got to be honest with you, this is tough. I know you're hurting. All those things you're talking about are important, but we have the cart before the horse, and I need to hear you checking in about lust. wasn't enough. Same thing kept happening. You know, two days of lust checking. So finally I said, on your check-ins, you have 30 seconds in my phone, and I only want to hear about lust. <laughs> it sounds hard, but it's like... Sometimes you have to turn the tables. And, and that came from me being willing to say, I'm uncomfortable, something's wrong, I don't know what the solution is. And the main, that's the main thing. If I, can give, I mostly don't know. When I start going, what should I say next? What's the right thing? I, I, I'm trapped as a sponsor. I, don't, I have to just go, hmm, I've noticed you saying this a lot more lately. What's going on? What do you think? And engage in a conversation. I'm, I don't, I don't, when I try to think of what's the right solution, I usually get trapped and I get nervous. And I go, I don't know how to do this. <laughs> um, so I offer that to you too with the relapse prevention. But to, 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 to speak from ourselves and trust ourselves and say, I'm uncomfortable, I'm worried. I, just had a, I have a sponsor who has a lot of sobriety um, who last week clicked on something on the internet? It was old behavior. It wasn't a bottom line for him. It was, it was in the it was in that uh, middle category, um, uh, a boundary, all usually bookends. Um, and because we had a long history together, I was able to say right away, "I'm really freaked out." I didn't yell at him. I was freaked out, and he could see it. And he said immediately, "I'm going to bookend my days at work with you." And it was like that was over. <laughs> and he's been booking in his days at work, and he's been okay. Um, so, you know, use yourself. Um, trust yourself um, and get guidance from your sponsor. Um, that's all I got. Thanks. Thank you. So this is a panel meeting. It's now time for questions and answers. Members with questions for panel should line up at the front of the room and use the microphone. This is taped, so we do really want to get your questions on the, the mic up here. And if that one doesn't work, we'll just pop you in between us. So feel free to come on up. Thank you both for, for sharing. Uh, I'm Dave Mack uh, from Jacksonville, Florida. And I have a question about um, 
a sponsee that uh, I have had for six and a half years, and uh, in the last 18 months he's slipped three times after having two and a half years, two years. And uh, I talked with my sponsor because I was perplexed about it. And uh, as it turned out, it was suggested to me that I might be codependent with him and uh, blindsided to some areas where he was working, which, of course, freaked me out. And I thought, oh, exactly what I'm doing wrong. And uh, the next time he came, uh, my sponsee came to me and said, uh, well, I'm, I'm sort of doing okay, and I'm sort of doing this. I said, well, that's really good because I'm firing you. <laughs> and um, it freaked him out initially, but I got a wonderful letter about a week later from him, and I actually did give him some outs, gave him another sponsor's name, and so forth. But could you all share a little bit about some of your experiences with that in that vein? Thanks. Um, yeah, my fir- my first reaction is uh, I-, I hate the term fire, <laughs> um, so uh, I-, I always have trouble with that one. Um, and especially now that I'm I- I'm in school, learning about you know being a therapist, uh, I- I'm learning to use the-, the word, and and you did as well that, that you know maybe I need to refer you. <laughs> To, to a different sponsor, uh, and I, and I think that's you know I think that's an okay thing. Uh, it may well be that you know your styles are just they just don't match. Um, the the other thing I would do I think with someone like that is really have a heart to heart discussion about that. You know, um, you're, you're falling into a cycle of relapse. Uh, you, you you stay sober, then you relapse. You stay sober, you relapse. That's another one of these. You know, what what about this path that you're on? It seems to end up being in relapse. What can we do? You know, and what can you do with your program that's different than what you've been doing? Because if you keep doing the same thing, you get the same results. So how can we find a way to, to break that pattern? You know, what is it that needs to happen? And it may be that one of the things that needs to happen is you need a different kind of sponsor. Uh, so that it's not so much a firing, but it's a saying, you know, there might be a, a, someone else who, uh, you know, I may just be blind. It, it may not be the sponsee's problem. It may be my problem. I'm just not seeing what kind of help you need, and someone else can maybe do that better for you. So um, I would... Uh, be more inclined to do that. I, I'm thinking of a, an example of a fellow that I had worked with for about a year, and um, and and he he just kept slipping all the time, and he recognized it too, and and he he felt like he needed someone who was more demanding than I was, and I said that's great, you know I I can't be that way, you know I I that's just not the way I work, so maybe it would be good for you to find a sponsor that was more demanding, and he did, and he been able to sustain a sobriety. So sometimes our ego gets tied up in it too. You know, well, no, I'll help you. You know, I'll find a way to help you. But you have some thoughts? Great. Thanks, Doug. Thanks, Doug. Well, I'm sorry, what's your name? Dave. Thanks, Dave, for your question. Um, so Doug gave the referral reframe. <laughs> and um, what, what I, I've been uh, come to believe, and, and this isn't my idea, um, is that we, we don't fire sponsees, sponsees fire us. And I like that. Um, 
and the best example I can give from my own experience is a person I um, sponsored for a number of years. Um, this is going back, and it was, this is a person I kept saying the same things over and over to. And I remember in a conversation, and I hadn't gotten to the place where I, I am now as a sponsor, um, I said to him, I don't know what else to say to you. And, and that's when I found, and I was codependent. I hung in too long. He had fired me a long time before. He, he wasn't ready for being sponsored. Um, he needed to go out back out and come back. And he has a different sponsor now and is doing well. Oh. I'm Robert. I'm a sexaholic. I think I just got some answers to my question. Uh, I uh, specifically was uh, very interested in, in you. Terry talked about he treats newcomers different than he treats guys that have been around for a while. And uh, I have about, I have a lot of sponsees, uh, a couple who are old enough to be my father or grandfather, and um, that's not as relevant. But I have some sponsees that have been in the program for 20 years and uh, don't have any long-term sobriety. And... I am codependent with them, and I guess I'm wondering what the what the right approach is in that situation when I've worked with them for a few months or a little longer, and the pattern hasn't changed. Um, thanks, Ro- is Robert. Thanks, Robert. Um, a couple ideas. The first thing that crosses my mind is um, getting help from the rest of your group. Um, I don't know the specifics of the situations, but I've worked with folks like me. I was 15 years, uh, yeah, 15 years in and out of the program before this stretch of sobriety um, since 99. Um, And, um, you know, we can't get sober alone. We can't be sponsors alone. Um, and so I've gotten better and I'm going back to that person I just mentioned in the last example and I kept hanging in and kept hanging in and I didn't I think there, there was no there was part of me that didn't want to tell anybody you know like I don't I don't know what the hell I'm doing <laughs> I got nothing new I got what you know but you know saying that kind of thing and I'm not saying you haven't done that um, we actually have a formal um, process at St. Teresa's, Teresa's Wednesday night, we do something called check meetings. They have this big uh, cachet, like they're, the scary, they're not scary things. They're usually very loving um, kinds of things, but the sponsor calls the check meeting. The sponsor asks some other sponsors, ah, not sure what to do. You know, can you help me? And the sponsee comes to the meeting too. They each share, sponsor shares for a sponsee. And then we go around, quick meeting after the meeting, and people give ideas. And it's been very helpful. And sometimes out of that, uh, transfer or referral will come. You know, <laughs> we're done. Sometimes healing will come between the two. And uh, a, like a recommitment or a, a new idea to work on that they'll take then together one-on-one and try to figure out where to go with. Um, I don't know why. That's where my, my mind went with that because you know, I don't know the specifics of those situations. But, yeah, that's, I think it's really hard, and, and part of it's using the sobriety of the group. Just a, a quick response. The other thing that I discovered is there are some guys who really... Um, 
the payoff for them is to not get well. Uh, that's why they keep coming to meetings because they get a lot of um, they get a lot of attention by not getting well, and um, so sometimes just being very confrontive about that. You know, what's your deal? <laughs> why are you here? You know, um, because if if the group keeps you know, giving them a lot of attention and you keep giving them a lot of attention, it may not pay in their mind to work the program because they, then they might lose some of that attention. So. Dave, sexaholic. Hi, Dave. Um, is there any literature that you recommend in addition to the obvious uh, white book and uh, big book? I remember when I first started sponsoring, you know, I tried to find some books on sponsorship, and there are a few out there. Um, I, I didn't find, find them particularly helpful. I, um, you know, I think it's like marriage. There's no guide. <laughs> We're out there on our own. Most of us learn how to be sponsors from our own sponsors, I think, you know. Um, so in terms of, if that's what you're asking about books on how to sponsor, in terms of other, you know, literature, um, you know, I, I try to, I, I grew up, my, my initial meetings in Los Angeles, Los Angeles meetings tend to focus on the big book even more than the white book, which was very ironic because Roy was there. You know, he'd be in meetings and we'd be reading the big book instead of his white book. Um, but so I, I kind of grew up on, on the big book and really focus on that. That's where the steps came from and that's, for me, that's the program. Um, the only other book that's been very helpful to me is... Um, well, I shouldn't bring it up because we don't do that. So <laughs> we don't talk about uh, you know literature that's not approved. So. Yeah, especially online. Dave, were you asking for your sponsees or for you? Okay. Yeah. Um, I wish I had a handy answer. I, I did go out a couple years ago and I got a, a book on sponsorship, and I, I, there probably were a couple ideas in there, but nothing that that really. I, that I remember right now, <laughs> so that's telling. Um, and um, in terms of um, with my sponsees, um, definitely the two books you mentioned, and the twelve and twelve as well. Definitely um, direct people to the twelve and twelve in terms of step work. Um, and uh, um, I, I don't have a. I use this reading then, this reading then kind of thing, but I do say to folks, why don't you read six and seven over and over and over again for the next few weeks, you know? And because they're there or they're stuck there or whatever it might be, but I, I, I don't have a good answer for you. I'm sorry. Somebody else might. There's plenty of people around. Tom, sexaholic. And, uh, um, don't know which of my questions to ask, but I'll ask this one. Uh, this came from early when you were talking, Doc, uh, that the sponsor's role is not to go after the sponsee. Um, and yet I, I suspect that might be different when somebody's new versus uh, later. Uh, what, 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 uh, what guidelines do you use, uh, either of you, on uh, how, how much do you go after somebody? And does that change over time? Thanks, Tom. Um, 
I'm going to make the same distinction, I think, between someone who's newer and someone who's been around. You know, someone who's newer, they're not used to our program and those sorts of things. I'm way more uh, patient about um, pursuing them a little bit, checking back, notice you didn't, you know, we had talked about this was going to be a program, it didn't happen, and, and checking in on that sort of thing, and um, and hanging in, too, um, because these... You know, if you haven't made a daily call to somebody to talk about what's going on, and you're and now you're supposed to, that's that's weird, you know. And so I, I mean, I have I have some um, empathy for that, um, and yet eventually that needs to come around. And so, as much as I say that, I'm I'm more cautious than I used to be, Tom. To be honest with you about pursuit. Because I really do believe that the motivation has to come from the the sponsee, within reason that we're asking them to do things that are you know just counter culture, let alone counter um, lust. Um, so I, I think I'm reasonable about it, but I don't want to establish a pattern. You know, there's the meta pattern that happens, and who's doing the work and who's initiating everything. And that's the part I'm really cautious about. You know. Um, and with somebody who's been around, I don't pursue them. I just, I don't think they need to find me. So. Yeah, I'm pretty much the same. Uh, with a newcomer, I might, uh, well, I tell them right off when they first ask me to be a sponsor, I, I do say, you know, when I talk about them needing to call in, uh, I do say, you know, I will not be calling you. Uh, I'll do a I'll do a, a call back. You know, if you leave a message that you know uh, you've kind of checked in for the day and you you want to call back, yeah, then I'll make the call back. But I I will not call. Now I will break that with a newcomer. I might do one call. You know, if I haven't heard from them, I might make a call and say, "How's it going?" You know, remember you, you need to be checking in. Uh, or I might see them at the meeting and say, "Huh." How are those phone calls coming? You know, I, I tend to use a little bit of sarcasm uh, with my sponsees a little bit. You know, how's it working for you? Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, you know, initially I did. I used to be, I would pursue much more, and I found that the ones I pursued uh, just never did get onto the program. So, you know, sort of spinning my wheels. The motivation's got to be there. The motivation's got to be there on their part. So. That's my experience, anyhow. I'm a recovering sexaholic named Jim, hey, Jim. from uh, Ormond Beach, Florida. And uh, uh, when I have sponsored people, I tell them up front that I am their temporary sponsor. And that if I am not helpful to them, find someone who is. Because it's their program that's at stake. I have a sponsor, and he's helpful to me. And I'm fortunate. But I insist that if they want to have recovery, they uh, get a sponsor who will help them. Now, my question is related to uh, a meeting that we have called Newcomers in the Answer. And it's a meeting where newcomers come. And our procedure is that toward the end of the meeting, we tell them that we will assign them a temporary sponsor. 
I'd like your comments on that. Yeah, I have not been in a meeting uh, that I've attended that, that does that, but I've, I've heard of that practice. Uh, um, I, I don't see a problem with it. I think as long as they understand that at some point they need to uh, make a commitment with regard to to who their sponsor is going to be. Um, and, you know, although I do the same thing, everyone that approaches me for uh, for sponsorship, I say, you know, I'd be happy to be your temporary sponsor to get you going. And, uh, you know, that, that temporary might mean for a couple of weeks until you find who you really connect to and I can help you find that person. Or temporary might mean for the next 10 years, you know. So um, I usually like to, to use that temporary sponsorship to... Um, to make it easier for someone uh, uh, to ask for a referral. <laughs> so that's my use of that. Thanks for asking that because it helps me kind of further evolve or correct my previous answer to Tom about pursuit. The one place I do look, I, 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 if, 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 if what that is, I'm not part, I've not been part of that kind of a meeting. Um, but if the idea is to proactively build in something to reach out to the newcomer so that they get hooked up with somebody else, I, I'm all for that kind of pursuit in the beginning because, you know, you're there and you come into this place. I mean, how does that happen? That's why I told my story about how I got my first sponsor in AA. Um, somebody helped me to do that, and I think there's nothing wrong with that. So sounds like that's what they're trying to do. Just one other thought, and I don't know, uh, in our particular meeting format um, that we use for our meetings, toward the end of our meeting, we do have a little thing about, you know, we encourage phone calls, we encourage fellowship, and we encourage sponsorship, and anyone willing to be a sponsor, please raise your hand, so that we do, every meeting we're reminding people the importance of sponsors and that at least people can see somebody because sometimes the newcomer um, is afraid to ask you know uh, they're terrified to actually ask for help but if somebody has raised their hand to say they're willing to be a sponsor they might be willing to, to approach that person um, but I think the asking that the asking is also important. Back to this assigning. I think the asking is important. I remember I, I was on a panel at one of these conferences uh, recently, and uh, someone came up afterwards, and he was talking with me and talking with me and talking with me. And, and I, knew, I knew he was looking for sponsorship, but I did not offer it. I did not, because I knew he needed to ask. And it was really interesting. Um, uh, toward the end of the conference, he met me in the lobby and he came over and very timidly asked and I said, I knew you wanted to ask, but it was important for you to do it. You know, that's part of the motivation. Yeah. My name's Dennis and I'm powerless. Dennis. Hi, Dennis. Um, one of the things I'd like to go back to the phone calls. Um, I had two and a half years of white knuckle sobriety. I've now had four and a half years of positive sobriety through working the steps. But one of the things that has kept me sober that is very important to me is the phone calls. And I probably get six, eight phone calls and make a day now. What can I do to get my sponsees to make those phone calls? Is there any tricks? I mean, I, I explain how this works for me. I explain, you know, I know it's a 500-pound phone. We've all been there. Uh, nobody wants to call and you know, I, you know, it's as, uh, which most of us tend to do. And in the beginning, 
um, I usually try to tell them stop complaining, stop telling them what your problems are, begin by being friends and say, hey, Joe, how was your day? Um, but you know, it's not always successful. I have sponsees who, you know, I insist on a daily renewal partner, at least one, I have three. Um, do you have any suggestions is basically the, the question here for encouraging the lifting that 500 pound phone. Thank you. My quick answer would be no. <laughs> you know, all you can do is encourage them that that's an important part of their recovery. But if they won't pick up the phone, you know, you can't make them. You just can't do it. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, well, this will be the last question then because we do need to end so the next group can come in. Um, what I'd say real quickly, um, where'd you go? Who just came back. Oh, oh, there you are. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> um, you know, this movie just came back out, uh, Karate Kid, and uh, I have used the, I haven't seen it, but the the previous movie, uh, you know, the guy who wants to learn karate, the old man has him painting the fence, and he's like, wash on, wash off, wash on, wash on. and the guy's going, why do I got to do this, you know? And I do tell that story sometimes to people that eventually, of course, that becomes the key thing he uses or something to defeat his enemy. I don't remember how it goes, but something like that. Um, and that some of the things that we have to do are very. Um, they don't seem to make sense, or they're mundane, or they're a 500-pound girl, but we do them because in the end, um, you know, they, this is the, the, there's the magic of the daily call. That's providing a rationale, but I don't have any good, you know, that, to me this is one of the things that eventually you're either going to do or you're not, and eventually if you're not, you're firing me. Get somebody who doesn't want you to make the daily call because there's a lot of people who need sponsors. And I don't mean to be harsh about it, but eventually... Yeah. Um, I did learn from the situation, and I think that's really important as, as a sponsor, is that I make mistakes, and this is a great way for, to be taught by the sponsee. Now um, I'm taking the AA pamphlet on sponsorship and reading it with my new sponsees back and forth, and I think it's a really positive kind of situation. He reads a page, I read a page, and that way we have a resource for that. Go ahead. I was just going to say thank you. Uh, we're out of time, so we should wrap this up here. Let's see. Um. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.